Hello, everyone. Welcome to Freedom Broadcasters International Collaboration of Podcasters and Guests Around the World to bring you truth, 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 and nothing but the truth. And today, we are really honored to have Dr. Pamela Popper. And you see, you really have to listen carefully today. And of course, every time we do our live stream, because Dr. Popper didn't just wake up one morning and said, oh, this isn't correct. Or this is, a, you know, this is like a pandemic instead of pandemic. She's been around in the health and wellness. Dr. Pam Popper is an internationally recognized expert on nutrition, medicine, and health. And she's the founder and executive director of Wellness Forum Health. Pam is also a lobbyist and public policy expert and continually works toward changing laws that interfere with patients' right to choose their health provider and method of care. She has testified in front of legislative committees on numerous occasions and has testified three times in front of the USDA's Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. Pam is a straight-talking professional who is not afraid to criticize national health organizations, government agencies, medical professionals, pharmaceutical companies, agricultural organizations, and manufacturing companies, many of whom have agendas and priorities that interfere with distributing truthful information and promoting public health. The author of several best-selling wellness books, her newest book is COVID Operation, What Happened, Why It Happened, and What's Next. So welcome, Dr. Popper. Nice to be here, and thank you for inviting me. Dr. Popper, I am also a registered nurse, and I have been on the holistic wellness part of, you know, the healthcare system, although I was also in the critical care system for 20 years. So my question to you is, what is driving you or what drove you before to go into the wellness and what's driving you to do what you're doing right now? Because you could just be sitting quietly somewhere, just like a lot of doctors, but you're not like that kind of person. And also you went beyond wellness, like being in the legislative area and helping also and creating that organization, make Americans free again. So please tell us. Yeah, so I've been in the healthcare industry for 25 years. I, I came from a business background, and I think that's important because I look at things from a system standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, and I look at metrics. I look at the way people do things and why they do things. I had a background as a sales trainer. And um, when I started my business, the, my business, we carved out sort of a specialty of our own called informed medical decision making. And it's based on the idea that when people do important things in their lives, when they make decisions about important things like buying houses and cars and college educations for their kids and, and retirement accounts, they investigate, they ask questions, they check things out. When they interact with the medical profession, 
they show up in a doctor's office who says, you need this $80,000 surgery. And people go, okay, how about Thursday? No, no checking, no asking. And so um, I was intrigued by this idea that people don't pay attention to information when they buy healthcare services. And also the number of people I encountered when I started getting into the healthcare business who had said, you know, if I'd known then what I know now, I never would have taken this drug, had this surgery, whatever that it is that they did, that they were regretful about later on. So that was basically the reason and what I started my business to do is to turn people into informed uh, decision makers. And so our members, some of who've been around since the very beginning, they ask the tough questions. Um, you know, they ask, well, show me some evidence. I'm gonna think about this. I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna look into alternatives, just like you do when you're buying a house, right? So when this all started, um, this was in my wheelhouse. I mean, this is what we do for our members. And I've always given a lot of information away for free. When a new drug comes out, when a new procedure or device, whatever's going on that's new in healthcare, I'm gonna check it out. We're always creating courses and educational programs for our people. And so I knew from the beginning something was terribly wrong because I've spent enough time in healthcare to know when th something doesn't smell right, you know. Um, and I created a video last March and posted it early March, second week of March, I think. And I predicted that this is what it was. I talked about the China connection. I talked about the political reasons China wanted to do this, that it wasn't a pandemic, that they'd done this before. They had a nice little trial run back in 2009 and 2010. And of course, I couldn't have known what it was going to turn into at that time. But what happened after that video was I got like thousands of emails and they started pouring in three and 4,000 a day. Some of them hostile, but most of them saying something's wrong. I know it too. And then it just all took off from there and took on a life of its own. I haven't slept in a bed for a year, <laughs> much anyway, um, because I've been working on not only writing the book, but putting together Make Americans Free Again and what's turning into an international effort to get our freedom back from an episode of medical tyranny that will go down in history as the most consequential thing that's happened on the planet since um, in our lifetime anyway. So Dr. Popper, since you've been digging around already even before, <laughs> who do you really think that the public should trust when it comes to information other than just a, maybe a handful of doctors who are as critical as you are, you know, who can the public go to? Nobody. And that's my whole point. And, and this doesn't mean that you don't like somebody or whatever, but, but people need to think for themselves and they should check out everything. And, and it's possible for two things to be true at the same time. And what I mean by that is I can like my realtor but still want to check out the price of the house before I buy it, okay? I, I like my landlord, actually. We have an unusual situation. I think that we rent our space from a really nice guy who tries hard to run a good business. Having said that, when I renewed my lease, I did this crazy thing. I sat down and read it before I signed it, okay? Do I trust Brad? Yeah, I think he's a great guy, but it's a million dollars, so I read the lease before I signed it. So I think that if people just get in the habit, stop trying to find a website or a person or an article or something that you just don't have to do any thinking and you can believe everything you see. I think we all have to take responsibility again, like we do in every other aspect of life to check things out. And if we, if everybody looked for somebody to follow in all these other decisions that we make in life, it would be totally catastrophic. 
I mean, seriously, would you ever walk into a car dealership and say, I'm too stupid to pick out a car, tell me what I'm gonna drive? They tell me that I can walk into this dealership and I don't have to think, I don't even have to read the lease agreement because you folks are nice. I mean, this is insane in any other area of life. And I, my contention is it's insane here. Thank you. Let's see. Steve? Oh, hi. Sorry, I was muted. Well, I've listened to your stuff. I'm really enamored with everything you're doing. It's incredible. I mean, my brother has a trampoline park in New York that was shut down because of Emperor Como. And, uh, you know, he had to, he's going bankrupt. So uh, there's a lawyer named um, Meningus on Long Island. I don't know if you know him, James Meningus. He's, he's doing something. I just told him to get in touch with you. So um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm sort of, you know, I mean, you, you you tell people, you know, Fauci lifted the ban on gain of function research in twenty four in twenty seventeen. You know, he funded this. I mean, there's all roads, or there's so much corruption here. It's just incredible, and people aren't really hearing it. So I'm just really grateful that you're doing what you're doing, and that you've discovered that, you know, the learning who to sue and how to sue is a process. And from right. what I get is, you know, through trials and tribulations, you're getting better at it. And you're, you're, you know, you're figuring out that you have to take the power of the emergency powers away by proving it's not an emergency. Exactly. And, yeah. So where do you stand with that right now and proving that? And is it going state by state? Are you going to go after Emperor Frotsky, Frotsky and, um, and that eventually? Yeah. So what's happened is I probably I'm 64 years old and I think probably the rest oh. of my life will be dedicated to doing this, actually. And uh, you bring up an important point. There are thousands of lawsuits that have been filed in the United States. Almost all of them have been lost. And I don't want people to feel discouraged about that. OK, I'm always the silver lining in the cloud kind of girl. Right. So what's good about 5000 losses? Well, we've watched all that and learned from it. And uh, sometimes you have to fail in order to learn how to win, right? So the lawsuits that were filed early on were filed, nobody knew what to do, but people alleged that their constitutional rights were being violated, like your brother and his business. There's no right for the state to shut him down. And they were right about that. But the problem is that uh, the way the laws are structured, the government comes back and says, well, that's absolutely true, but it's an emergency. We had no choice but to do this. And then the courts would rule in their favor. So by the time we started thinking about filing lawsuits um, in the summer of last year, and, by, and, and I'll talk about how that happened in a minute, we were basically saying nothing is gonna happen until we get rid of the emergency declaration and there was no reason to claim it in the first place, all right? So what happened was I was having conversations with a couple of attorney friends of mine. We're talking about doing this. None of them were, both of them were not uh, practicing anymore. They weren't gonna take it on. So I'm thinking, we've got to find a lawyer. We've got to find a lawyer. And at the same time, I think it's kind of a God thing. A guy by the name of Jason Hedges had started a group in Ohio. And by the way, as I tell you this story, our, our state slogan is Ohio, the heart of it all, which I think becomes very interesting in how this all unfolds. So Jason Hedges had gotten some friends together. He's a school psychologist. And he said, I just don't want my kids to grow up in a country that is doing this, right? So. So we found each other. Jason found out about me, called my office, and we joined forces. He had already found our attorney, Tom Renz, who's now leading the whole legal effort nationally. 
And, um, and that's how this all began. And Tom had already arrived at the conclusion and so had Jason. I mean, all of us here in Ohio, not knowing each other, what has to happen is we've got to challenge the emergency declaration. So again, I want to give people a lot of hope about what can happen. So a lot of people don't know this, but the first state to shut down was Ohio. Again, we're always the heart of it all, right? Why did Ohio shut down first? Because we are a conservative state Republican with a very conservative and at the time very popular governor, Mike DeWine, the Emperor DeWine now. And so if you're planning this whole thing and you want somebody on television every Sunday, you know, with the fear porn and everything, doesn't it sound better coming from a guy like Mike DeWine, popular governor in a Midwestern state? Because if you look at some of these other criminal despots, can you imagine putting Jay Inslee on the news? He's the guy who said that when he was challenged about the death rate, he said it was a conspiracy theory from the planet of Pluto. Well, you can't put this guy on the national news, right? He's an idiot. So Mike DeWine was a great poster child for this. And we knew in the summer, we had some great intel that the whole country was gonna shut back down again, worse than it was the first time, and that Ohio was gonna go first again, okay? So it didn't happen. So let me tell you what happened. So on August 31st, this is a very important day to remember, our little emperor who gets smaller every day because this is what happens when the soul leaves the body, you actually start to physically shrink, okay? So he gets up in front of the cameras every day and he says that he's now setting up isolation camps in Ohio. He ordered every public college and university to set aside space to quarantine people. And then he let it slip because he's getting tired that the federal government reimburses him for every day he locks somebody up. So there's an incentive to do it. So that night, our attorney Tom Renz hit send on that lawsuit and we never heard about isolation camps again and we never shut down again. Every place else in the country, they even took away outdoor dining, not in Ohio, okay? Wow. And the reason was, and then some other interesting things happened too. He had a couple bad days in court when his attorney maybe wasn't as good as he might've thought. And he actually opened up major sports. We have uh, crew soccer and Ohio State football. He said sports fans have proven that they can be responsible course. They don't even have to worry about curfews because they are sports fans. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. And then he, he established this curfew that nobody pays any attention to. If you're to drive around at 11 o'clock at night, it doesn't look any different. So really life in Ohio sucks. I mean, I don't love living here right now because they're still masking and all that kind of stuff. But compared to every other affected state, it is so much better here. All right. So we decided to target the next state we'd go someplace where the little criminal was really uh, acting up and that was New Mexico. So we filed against the Empress Grisham and then we filed against the feds. We filed against CDC, HHS and you know a couple of other agencies. And then very exciting last week or this week, we just filed a temporary restraining order and show cause order um, against CDC and um, HHS telling them that asking the court to keep them from using PCR testing and using the um, convoluted way they're categorizing deaths and also to show cause for like 15 different practices. So um, this will make them a little bit nervous, I think. And then we have two more states where we're going to file very soon. So the objective is file in every state. Every state we file in, we get luckier from the standpoint, we only have to win one time. So if we file in 45 states and we file 100 lawsuits against the feds, we need one win challenging the emergency and the whole thing starts to fall apart. And I've always been a numbers girl. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I work harder than everybody else and I'll do more activity and things usually come out great because of it.
Wow. 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 Good. St- I mean, that's just incredible. So I heard in, in California, Newsom was forced to lift the ban like 12 days ago because yeah. I think there was a lawsuit there. And- well, it's more than that. What's happening is that um, I've said this. I don't want to sound arrogant, but I'm a pretty good planner. And if these people who did this had consulted with me, I would have told them a lot of flaws in their strategy. All right. So here are major flaws. And I'm, I'm so glad that they didn't do that because I wouldn't have done it anyway. But you know what I mean? So what they didn't think through is how long could you actually do this before people just started revolting, all right? That's one thing they didn't think through. And they don't have an exit plan at this point. And so what's happening is the exit plan is being executed outside of their control. So in California, for example, he's being recalled. That's a that's a big issue because there's going to be a general election and they'll probably they would elect a till of the hunt before they'd let this guy back into office. Right. So so he's going to get out and, and they're going to have a problem with that. But the second thing is entire counties in California are opening up. They're just basically saying no. And this is happening in other parts of the world, too. In Italy, 50,000 restaurants opened up. And I saw a video of a grocery store in Italy where they're just saying, yeah, we don't care anymore. We're just we're just opening up. We're going to act normal. Well, there's there's nothing they can do about this. All right. There's no place, no matter even in a communist country, you can't lock up every business owner. You just, I mean, you just can't. So so if you're the emperor of California and you're saying I've got to continue to look like I'm in control, then what you do is you make an announcement about what a benevolent ruler you are. and We're going to have outdoor dining again and hope that that keeps the natives from being so restless for a little while. But but it isn't going to work. And as uh, more and more people visit Florida, for example, which is open, and they hear more and more about what's going on in Ohio, if you know Ohio never shut down again, and their cases keep going down, so what are we doing? And all that kind of stuff. They're they're going they're soon going to have a big problem. Now you mentioned something. You know when we were starting before, you know the people walking around who believe this story and all that kind of stuff. There are millions of them, but there are more millions of people who don't. And there are some people on the fence that actually would like for this to just stop. And if they get a signal that it's just going to stop, they're going to join the people making it stop. They're not going to go defend the sheep, you know. So they've got a big problem managing this on their hands right now. And thankfully, they weren't very good at scenario planning to this extent. And we can take advantage of that. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. So the last thing I'm going to say quick is that your strategy is proving there's no emergency and they can't prove there is. Right. And then everything else starts to go away. And then after that, we start suing everybody. Okay. So we're going to sue the airlines and we're going to sue the big box stores and we're going to sue the medical institutions and we're going to get to Mr. Fauci and we're going to get to, and and this is another thing that's kind of exciting to think about. And we don't, we're not exactly sure how far we can take this, like even to local health officials, but, but let's look at Ohio, for example, if we prove that there's no emergency, and our little emperor declared one when there wasn't an emergency and then he ruined people and everything else. Okay, so now he is guilty of fraud and the state will not pay his legal bills. He has to pay his own legal bills. And these governors are rich. He has he is reportedly worth $70 million. Now, I want to know how you make that kind of money in public office. I might want to run for that office myself if I could get that kind of money, but we know what goes on, right? So we can get that money and it will go a long way to help the ruined people. The guy in uh, the emperor of Illinois is worth $2 billion. The emperor of California, he's worth 400 million. So we're gonna redistribute that wealth. And then you start going after the airlines and the and the um, the big box stores and on and on and on. And so, and it'll be a way for attorneys who worked on this for much less than they were worth for a long time to recoup a share of that. 
as they sue everybody. And we're going to sue everybody, and we're going to work on getting every one of them criminally prosecuted as much to as much as we can. Um, so, so it's it is not going to be over. This is why I say I'm going to spend the last third of my life uh, working on this, and it's going to take millions and millions of people, which is why I started Make Americans Free Again. Wow! Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Um, hi, Dr. Popper. Um, great to have you on. Uh, I'm Chris. And what I want to say is you touched on the valid point there earlier as well with the, you know, they have tried this before, which we know they've been trying it for decades, hundreds. It goes back probably thousands of years if you really want to go back through the whole situation. But what I want to say is you touched on the point about 2009, 2010, about, you know, another alleged pandemic, they obviously tried to, to pursue that as well. And I believe a lot of that, why that didn't take off compared to this one has taken off dramatically is because they didn't have Silicon Valley behind them back then to the extent that they have today that is completely media driven today. And it's all driven by fear, of course. There's no actual science behind any of this. And it is, it is a pandemic, of course, uh, and not a pandemic situation. But um, through your research and all that as well is, um, have you got to the point of where people are looking, obviously, Deborah Burks, you look at your Fauci's and Bill Gates, usual suspects in the World Economic Forum that we've all been over a thousand times before. But we know they're the gophers. They're not actually driving the show. They're the face of who actually is driving the show in the background. So have you come across or talked about, you know, people actually behind the curtain who are really pushing the, the strings um, as to what's going on on the global scale? And and one other point as well, in your, um, the emergency situation is a 110% fantastic route you've taken to go down there as well. Um, and on top of that, in the emergency situation, have you... Um, is there a question in there that basically, on top of all the emergency questions you would have had anyway, is there one to say, like, you know, does COVID-19 uh, actually exist? Because I know myself from from uh, the Freedom Information Acts uh, in Ireland, so there's England, Australia, can't, loads of places that they've actually went um, ahead. Because it's like the greater the lie, the more you tell it, so on and so on, everybody will eventually kind of believe it. But when you actually go to the root of it and, you know, the Freedom of Information Acts, these people, are, they'll say they haven't actually properly isolated, they haven't undercoached postulants, so on and so on and so on. The likes of Dr. Tom Cowan, the doctor, like uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman, I mean, Don Lester, there's loads of people you could list out there. When they've actually seen the, you know, the isolation part they're talking about, they go, this is rubbish. This is not. Like, have you, has that question been approached to them on top of yeah. Who was really driving this that people need to know? There are a lot of misunderstandings about this. So first of all, let me assure you, there is a virus called SARS-CoV-2. There is a virus called SARS-CoV-2. I can show you where to look at the DNA sequencing of it. It was man-made in a joint venture between a laboratory in Wuhan, China, and at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. They published an article in Nature Medicine they showing the sequencing of the virus. And I'll tell you where this misunderstanding came from because this misunderstanding makes my job harder because people make crazy claims and then they write off everybody who's talking about this in a different way as being part of that lunatic fringe, all right? So SARS-CoV-2 is not a novel virus. There was a SARS-CoV-1, this is SARS-CoV-2. It's sort of kind of like that, but it was man-made. And you can see when you look at the DNA sequencing about the, the cut. The, the clean cut, which is not how viruses mutate naturally, all right? So um, SARS-CoV-2 causes a disease called COVID-19. Now the tests don't really diagnose COVID-19 and we don't really need any of those tests anyway. But where this misunderstanding about the virus doesn't exist, which is nonsense, comes from, is that, and you've probably heard about the Drosden paper that was published in Neurosurveillance, and it was a, it's typical, this is, none of this is new. We've been dealing with medical tyranny 
for a long time. I'll come back to that in a minute. And this nonsense of publishing bad stuff in medical journals, 95% of what's in medical journals is rubbish, okay? So these this group publishes an article in, um, in a, this journal Eurosurveillance um, and says, you know, we're, we're gonna have testing now for this virus. And there wasn't any virus available at that point in time because they didn't know to go, to go look at nature medicine. They could have gotten it there. So what they used was another coronavirus. Okay, they said, we didn't have what this virus is. So we just used another one and we showed that we could get enough um, uh, DNA and amplify it and all that. So there, there are a million things wrong with that study. It was never peer reviewed. It was published. Two of the, the authors were on the editorial board of the journal. Every form of misbehavior you can imagine happened with this article and it became the gold standard. And the WHO, the World Health Organization adopted it because it's a criminal enterprise. The biggest contributor is Gates. Um, our uh, senile president just decided to uh, join back in and fund the World Health Organization. He doesn't know what the heck he's doing. But in any case, that's how this all started. But there is a virus that causes COVID-19, all right? And when we claim, when people who claim that, and I'll tell you, our, our, the perpetrators of this crime, and I know who they are, are very organized and very focused. And what they're hoping is that a bunch of nonsense like this gets everybody unfocused and then they will win. All right, so the word out there, stop this stuff, all right, does not help. All right, and I believe in free speech, but sometimes free speech is making my heart, my job harder. So talk about whatever you wanna talk about, just know if you talk about this, it's gonna be harder to do this. So um, who's behind this, all right? So you, you mentioned some names, Gates is, Rockefeller is, Zuckerberg is, the, the world's billionaires are behind this. The biggest driving factor behind it is the World Health Organization in partnership with China. All right, so who, and it's very important, there's a chapter in, in, my, um, in my book, COVID Operation, about the players, meet the players. All right, so it's very important to understand who's involved in this. So Tedros, the guy that calls himself Tedros is the head of the World Health Organization. Now he was a health minister in Ethiopia and every organization that sent funds to Ethiopia while he was there, wrote up reports talking about his mismanagement. He built health centers with no running water and electricity. I mean, the guy was just a common criminal. And 2.1 million people who belonged to an ethnic group he despised disappeared from the census while he was in charge. Nobody knows what happened to him. That's a lot of people to go missing, right? So he, nobody wanted him to be head of the WHO except for Bill Gates. And he pressured the WHO to let him become president or a director general. Now they have a goodwill ambassadors group to the WHO and his first nomination to the goodwill group was Robert Mugabe. You know who he is? Dictator in Africa who killed millions of people. I'll tell you what, having somebody like that with the World Health Organization, that just kind of warms your heart. Well, even Bill Gates couldn't make that thing fly. So he had to get rid of that. But guess who else is on that goodwill ambassadors thing? It's uh, the wife of President Xi of China, who is listed on the website as an opera singer, but we have downloaded a video of her singing to the Chinese troops while they slaughtered people in Tiananmen Square. And she's also a director general in the People's Army and is involved in the project where they lock up Uyghurs and use them for body parts. Another great person to have, okay? So my co-author and I, one of the things we were able to put together is when this virus left the Wuhan lab. And, and the one thing we don't know is was it accidental or on purpose, but however it left, the Chinese government immediately seized the opportunity to create a worldwide panic, shut everything down so that 
it could deflect a lot of attention away from what it was doing, locking up the Uyghurs, using them for body parts, aggression in Hong Kong, all kinds of things that they were doing. And they wanted to become a more dominant economy. So if you take a look at what happened in China, the World Health Organization essentially started reporting that China was getting ahead of this thing. Everything they did was right. They locked down. It worked great. I mean, it was just a propaganda, well, China through the World Health Organization, and then other countries fell in line, mainly because they had all signed an agreement in 2005 that if there actually was some kind of bubonic plague, that they would all step in and, and uh, do the, the same thing. Now, all countries didn't go along with it, and that was the beginning of this not working out as well for the perpetrators as they had intended. But uh, that's what happened. So you've got Gates's agenda, which is control healthcare for the planet, universal vaccination, sicken and, and get in population, depopulation. That's what he wants. He wants to kill people. Um, you've got George Soros, who wants the whole country to live in communism. You've got Zuckerberg, who's just turned into a common criminal, censored speech. The, 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 um, uh, all of the social media giants take orders from the government. In other words, I just watched a documentary last night where um, the attorney general or governor of a state can call Twitter and they'll take down somebody's account as a result of that phone call. So they all want to be part of state media. Everything is propaganda state media now in the United States. And, um, and so it's a lot of bad players. And then I won't talk much about this because, um, but there is a central organization a gathering of these people that we think is pulling the strings, at least here in the United States, to determine what happens in every state. So DeWine in Ohio got his orders to shut down Ohio first from some group, and we think we know who that is. All right. Thanks for that. Yeah, interesting your perspective on the um, SARS-CoV-2 and that situation. Um, no, thanks for that, yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, they're organized. They're wealthy. Um, they tried it in 2009 and 10 and got away with it. But actually, this issue of medical tyranny, I just want to say something about that. Um, and that is that medical tyranny in the United States and in many other countries has been going on for a long time. And I want to define what I mean by medical tyranny. Medical tyranny is when um, a nurse is told, you can't work in this hospital unless you have a flu vaccine. Medical tyranny is when a psychiatrist says to a parent, you either put this five-year-old on Risperdal for his behavior problem, or we're going to turn you into child protective services. Medical tyranny is when a legislature passes a law saying that children must have 57 shots before they can enter school and they have to be fully vaccinated. That's all medical tyranny. And it's been getting worse in our country for decades. And part of the problem is that a lot, just like we had to watch 5,000 failed lawsuits to know the right lawsuit to file, we've had to watch, we've taken advantage of 35 years of history to see all the strategies that don't work for addressing medical tyranny so that we're steering people away from those things. I mean, people think that you can sign a petition or a declaration. Well, I don't know how many petitions you guys have seen. I've seen dozens. Some of them have a million signatures. Did you notice anything changing? Not so much, right? They've been doing that for decades. You write to your state representative or your congressman. They, have, they don't care. They, they absolutely don't care. You have a meeting with them. They don't care. Well, I think one thing we learned about all this is that the executive branch of our government here in the United States is completely corrupt. 
the legislatures are useless. That's a holding place. The state legislatures is where you go until you can work yourself into a more important position. So the key is to do nothing while you're there so that you can move on to the next thing. So those people are worthless. The only thing functioning is the courts. And you got to file the right lawsuits and the right jurisdictions. That's where that's where we're going to win. So we're trying to get people away from, you know, can you help me write a letter to my senator? No. I mean, seriously, if that would make you feel better, that's great. But I don't want you to think if you spend all Saturday afternoon on it, it's going to make any difference because it won't. Thank you. Uh, apologies for uh, the internet connection. It's never oh. happened before. No worries. No worries. Um, so if, if it's been covered, uh, you can just let me know. Um, I've, I've had over 100 court cases myself. I was actually in court uh, on Friday on a cr criminal case. So I realize how corrupt the whole system is. You know, when a government party changes, you know, the, the legal system at the top changes. And what I'm finding is we're all fighting different fights. Everybody is fighting here and there. And then next year, there's an, a new system. So, like, like, what's your thoughts on direct democracy for, you know, kicking out a politician as soon as he's doing something bad? Well, I think that a um, couple of things about that. We haven't talked about it. I think it's a really good question. Um, I think the first thing is that people who live in republics and democracies have gotten lazy. Okay. We all, we've all had it really good, and we've just thought it was going to go on. And we thought that as long as we voted, we're doing, we're, we're good active citizens, right? Well, it's not enough. It just isn't enough. And, um, and the voting is really corrupt. I mean, I think you know what happened in the United States. And, and by the way, it's not over in the United States. And so the criminals who did this, if they're sleeping well at night, they, this is to put them on notice, you probably shouldn't be sleeping so well. You might want to um, look into what's going on right now, because there, there are millions of people in this country who don't think that this is a settled issue. And, and I think that what we're going to see, I think go, that that's a good place to start, and then I'll go backwards. I think what we're going to see is a group of people who have basically said um, to themselves, I haven't been engaged enough. So now my level of engagement is combined with a little bit of rage over what went on. And that's sometimes when things change for the better. I mean, there's even one state that is actively pursuing the idea of seceding from the union, which that's how the Civil War started. And maybe that's what we need here. I mean, I'm not anxious to have a war, but if that's what settles this, that's what settles it, right? So I think that um, at least here in the United States, the court system is still intact. Now, there are bad courts and good courts. I mean, there, for example, there's a, the Ninth District Court, I think it is in California, gets overturned 87% of the time because it's filled with activist judges who are just morons. They, they don't follow the law. So, so you don't file anything where you're gonna end up there. Um, and the second thing is our strategy here has been, we know we're not going to win everything. We know anything that we do when they're going to appeal. So it's just file and file and in every state and in every state, because like I said, we need one win. So right now I've got, I've, I've got, a one, I got to win one out of four. But when this is going to get really interesting is when we only have to win one out of 265 because the odds are strongly in favor that, that one of those will go my way. And, and I don't think that they really understand that we're willing to do it. All right. I mean, if I if I have to not sleep for another five years, I will I will do it. If I have to take every penny I have, I'm going to do it. If I have to 
get go door to door and talk to people to raise money, I'm going to do it. And I know a lot of people feel the way that I do. So the determination level, and I'm not the only one, of a whole lot of people right now is really, really high. So we'll use the courts. But I think to your point, one of your most important points is what do you do about these politicians? We have to get rid of them. And one of the reasons I wanna talk a little bit about Make Americans Free Again, because the only thing politicians care about is getting elected. And the only way you're going to make them do what you want is to either have the power to get rid of them or the power to threaten them with getting rid of them. So let me let me go back and just kind of play a scenario for you. So in 2017, Mr. Fauci told a group at Georgetown University that there was going to be a pandemic during Trump's presidency. He's a remarkably psychic guy, okay? And if I had been equally remarkably psychic, I would have said, oh my gosh, I'm gonna to have to start Make Americans Free again right now because we're gonna have a big problem to solve, right? So I'm not psychic and I didn't do that, but let's say that I had. So all this stuff starts and along about summertime, people in Ohio were starting to figure out something's terribly wrong. And a couple of, uh, not a couple, about a half a dozen state representatives drafted articles of impeachment and they could not get enough votes now think about this, during an election year, when people in Ohio were enraged, they couldn't get enough votes to get rid of DeWine, all right? Here's how we could have done it. Let's say that I had started up my group in 2017, and we had million, two million people in Ohio in our database, all sortable by district. And I would have loved to have this conversation with many of these people, but I would start with my own useless senator who won her election in November by 17 votes. And I think she won by less than 500 the last time. She's not very popular. And I would have said, listen, as you probably know, you're not a very popular girl in your district, all right? So I have a proposition for you. I have brought a list of 19,000 registered voters in your district who are going to take you out if you don't vote for impeachment. And I brought the whole box here and I want you to have your assistant check out, just spot check, these are all registered voters. And if you don't do what I say, you're gonna be gone in November, okay? All she cares about is getting elected. She doesn't do anything while she's there, all right? So, and then you go on and you do the next one and the next one and the next one. And then people say, well, but the president of the Senate won't take the vote and the speaker of the house won't take the vote. Oh yes, they will, because then you have a, Dolly bring in the boxes of votes and you say, now listen to me very carefully. You are only here because your caucus has a majority. Maybe we're not doing so good with Republicans in Ohio. So you're either gonna take this vote or we're gonna try our chance with Democrats. And right here, I have 2 million registered voters. And if you don't do this, they're gone and you're gone. That's what they understand. This is the language politicians understand. And in Ohio, we our people take more money from drug companies than any other state than California. So I would say to them, and as an addendum, you know, I know the drug companies love you and give you lots of money, but you know what they can't do for you? They can't vote for you. Even that money's gonna be gone for you if you don't do what I say. And so we can start at the state level doing this. We can start at the county level doing this and just take these people out. And we've got to start running non-politicians, okay? I want to run people for office who've never run for office, who love their lives and can't wait to get back to them. They're going to serve a term or two and go back to life, not some stepping stone to becoming a millionaire. And then eventually we'll get enough power that we can take out that god awful Congress because they're all useless people, too. Not one of them they're worth keeping, in my opinion. You know, love it, love it. Now, another kind of follow up, which like we're all fighting 
for freedom. There's none of us ever going to back down. But I know myself, I've been attacked left, right and centre. They come out because, unfortunately, the boys in control can come after me and say, you're not paying your taxes or this building has a problem or this or that. And because they're pulling the strings, you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent, which takes you off the ball, sucks your energy. And I'm assuming you've had a lot of that as well. And I'm just wondering, have you any advice for people that are kind of in the fighting uh, gang, basically, against the bad boys? I think what you do is you just stay strong. You make up your mind and you don't let them you don't let them make you afraid. I refuse to be afraid. I will not be afraid. I mean, if they're going to shoot me when I walk out the front door, I can't do much about that. Right. But I don't think they're that stupid. Um, so basically, uh, you know, the, the first thing is that they're very deluded at this point in time, thinking that trash talking me or you is going to solve their problem. I mean, going after you for a building violation, is that going to really make this all go away? It actually is serving the purpose of inciting the people who are against them more. And at some point in time, they may start to figure that out. Um, in fact, it, 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 one of the things I've said is that people say, I am so sick of listening to that moron Fauci talk. And I keep I tell people, you've got to make sure he keeps talking because he's helping me so much. Every time he gets up and he makes some patently false statement, you know, I mean, one day he told the cameras because he loves the cameras. He loves himself so much. He said, you know, vaccines keep viruses from mutating. All right. Now, anybody in the healthcare profession, this is one of those laugh out loud. That's like saying today is not Saturday. OK, Pam. <laughs> right. Trust me, it's not. It's really Thursday. I don't know what calendar you guys are looking at. Right. So, you know, at some point in time, we're going to get a chance to ask him, are you really that incompetent or are you a criminal? All right. So so the bottom line is that um, they on the one hand, they appear to have all the power. But on the other hand, um, the misuse of power, and I've always operated everything under the philosophy that there's a fine line between doing something productive and non-productive. And you cross that line and people do it all the time. And all of a sudden they've become their own worst enemy. And this does go back to something I said earlier that you might not have heard, which is that I don't think their exit strategy is very well thought out. I don't think they really have one. And I also don't think they really thought about how long can we actually keep this going on before it completely becomes out of control. And again, I'll go back to, you know, the part of the purpose of this was to throw an election. That's all good. But nobody thought about what if Texas secedes from the union? And then Georgia says, we're going to. And then, you know, Arizona says, might as well join in. OK, I mean, and now we've got a guy in the White House who can't remember his name half days, half the time. This It's not like it's going to be particularly difficult for the resistance to <laughs> take the government at this point. So so they haven't thought this well through. So all of this, I mean, I want to come back to what you're concerned about. Is it concerning to have these people breathing down your neck? Yes. But um, it's there's a limit to what they can do. I mean, the most terrible thing they could do is kill me. And I don't think they're that stupid. So everything less than that I can deal with. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's the same for me. I think it fuels me. As soon as I see the corruption, it makes me want to drive this on further. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. No, perfect. I, I'll pass it on to somebody else. But uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, my name is Alfred Schumacher from Germany, and it's a real pleasure to hear this, what you're talking about, um, especially as Germany has a very big history concerning, let's say, uh, we have a big pharma industry which has influenced the society in many ways. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and uh, it is uh, very interesting to see I uh, because I want to I want to make another subject about solidarity um, the interesting thing is today or in the meantime um, the hair the barbershop owner go on YouTube and say they cannot anymore they don't have any money anymore they cannot survive anymore they don't know how to how to uh, to buy bread or how to buy food next week in Germany uh, because of the cut or uh, shutdown and uh, for example the, the 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 cases are lower than 50 in Germany normally this is uh, per 100,000 people so normally uh, everyone has to open the bar, uh, the shop again but the government says no we can't because the hospitals, uh, the uh, the stations are too. Yeah, they are overcrowded. It's not possible. So the so we know that this is a game, and um, I I got it today. Interesting thought. For example, in the Second World War, uh, during the time of Napoleon, there was a war, a, a local war, a vertical war. So the for example, France enters Germany, and then everything was destroyed, and the people have to walk to munich to to peel to family members and ask can i live in your house because i don't have any food anymore i have lost my house and etc so the people moved from one way to another so on, the, on a vertical level they traveled from cologne for example to munich or from paris to nice and to nice um so this way and and it was it was led by um, weapons and we have here a new a strategy of war. I, I said this way: this is a horizontal war, because of the shutdown. The people with the lowest income are the one who are the victims. Mm -hmm. and the people with the higher income, they don't. Um, let's say they um, they don't feel this so much because they have more more air and more money to 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 survive. But the interesting thing is there is no solidarity. For example, if someone was, if a, uh, if a city was attacked, then uh, the people could say, "Okay, let's see, we we attack them from their side, or we cut uh, cut the uh, supply in this way." But in this way, it's a very abstract war strategy. The people have not the possibility to get a solidarity, because the the upper people think that everything is normal for them, and they trust the media because the media is saying twenty four hours a day the whole the whole crap and the higher the people are or the more pe the more money the people have the more indoctrinated the people are this is interesting to see in germany yeah so let me talk about that um and the fact that you're from germany makes this even more poignant so during world war ii there was an amazing resistance in all the occupied countries they just they made Hitler furious. That's where the Dutch hunger winter came from. They locked in the northern part of the country because they were so ticked off at the Dutch and how effective they were at undermining their plans. Interesting story behind that, actually. But but um, anyway, the way that this happened was one person talking to another. And I'm, I'm a World War II buff. That's a period of time that interests me. So when I started Make Americans Free Again, the key is you got to figure out a way to start getting people together, the solidarity that you're talking about. And all the rich people don't think everything is fine. We got a lot of rich people helping us right now. All right. So what happened, what I did was I started the third, we call them Thursday groups because that was the one night a week I had available. So I said, I'm going to start a group on Thursday at my office. And the first time we did it, we had like five people. 
Now we have 40 some people and the group has given birth to baby groups, to baby groups, to baby groups that spread all over the United States. Every day I get hundreds of emails from people who say, I started this a Thursday group in such and such a place. You can't announce it because in some places there are limits on gatherings. So you wouldn't want to make an announcement. I mean, during World War II, you wouldn't have seen an announcement in the newspaper. Well, we're taking 400 Jewish children out of Amsterdam tonight. So meet at the corner of Broad Street and High Street. We're going to put them all in cars and drive to the border. So how do they do that? people talking to people, talking to people, and these groups develop. And an interesting thing happens with the groups. The groups develop and you get lots of people together, it makes it easier to raise money, to find lawyers. In fact, some of the best lawyers have just walked into Thursday groups to join because they're upset about what's going on. And this is how we're organizing people. And we're gonna get millions of people together this way. And then we're starting to do something else because of the what you mentioned, the shops and the people in business that are struggling. And we're doing small business rescue is what we call it. And so this can be anything from, let's take the barber shop, all right? He doesn't have any money. Well, everybody needs to get a haircut. So we're gonna have a secret haircutting party at my place and everybody bring cash and your head, all right? And we're gonna sit in my basement and he's gonna cut hair. And we're how much money do you need? We've actually asked people this. How much money do you need to keep your shop going for another month? Just take it a month at a time. All right, that's how many haircuts we're gonna have. And you're gonna come to my house and we're gonna do it. We're gonna show people where to park and make them walk over here and the whole nine yards, right? Um, we've done this with restaurants. We've had 50 people get together and say, I'm gonna order a takeout from your restaurant every week until this is over. There are people who have money who will spend it, all right? Um, one of my things I like to, uh, I take painting lessons and, and um, the place has been having trouble. So we have the painting classes at my place. It's a secret. And um, uh, well, now it's not a secret because I'm telling the world, but you know, nobody knows when they are and all that. And so we, how, many, how many people have to paint in order to keep you in business for a while? Um, if we find out that some business owner has a problem, we, we all go there and buy everything. All right. It's just like we'll come by every, everything that's not nailed down. We're going to buy it from you right now. And then um, and that and, and people will do that. And it gives them a sense of mission and productivity. And so the, the Thursday groups, I started it because we had to start a movement to file these lawsuits. But they became a way to preserve mental health. People coming together with other humans every week. It gives it gives people a way to feel productive. There's nothing worse than feeling helpless. But all of a sudden, now you've helped. You spent ten dollars over here where we needed you to spend it. Now you've been helpful. All right. And so um, this is what has to happen all over the world. I was in a, a podcast in Ireland yesterday. I said, "You guys got to get out there. You got to you've got to get your. We call it the ground game here. One person asking another, asking another, asking another, and gather everybody up together." and become one big voice and we do have solidarity it's growing every day here in the united states and you know what these stupid criminals don't even know it's going on because it's all happening in secret what and this is this is another thing where, where they can think that they're winning when they're not because you put a situation they can't post on uh, social media you can't put a sign in your yard and all that kind of thing so it's all happening and they don't know where it is it's just like germany during the war they don't know who's doing it. They don't know where. To, well, they know I'm doing it, but they don't. They'll never get out of me anything. I've, I've volunteered to go to jail before, 20 some years ago, rather than give up people's names, and I'll do it again. So they don't know who. They know I'm doing it, but they don't know where the meetings are. They don't know who the people are. They don't know where it's coming from. It is just like the resistance, and it's fun. And how did you, how did you get the uh, to the because. Um... Let's say it this way. People who are aware of the situation 
Um, let's say it this way. Um, there maybe are two people of ten people who are aware of the situation. Right. And um, there are not uh, at the moment the internet is the collective where all the people come together. Right. But the problem is that the people are mostly far away. So the situation is to find the people in your area. Right. One this person. One. One person at a time. Okay. Again, this is how did we win that war? One person at a time. All right. So it's one person at a time. And and it's and by the way, the, think about oh, it's maybe two out of ten. That's twenty percent. Here in the United States. That's 50 million people. Do you know how much mischief 50, 60 million people can cause for these criminals? What are you going to do with 50, 60 million people? Seriously, machine gun them down? Well, I guess that's one way of doing it, but I don't think that that would go over too well. So there's not enough, there isn't enough prison space, camp space, FEMA camps. There's not enough of anything here to contain 60 million people. And I think there's more than 20%. So I think, I think here in the States, I don't know how it is in Europe, but but there are three groups of people. Everybody knew about the original two, sheep, non-sheep, right? People who understand what's going on and then the, the stupid people, brainwashable people uh, who, who bought it. There's a third group and that's what's starting to emerge here. These are people who, they really didn't weigh in on what they thought, pandemic, no pandemic, all that stuff. They were so overwhelmed with just dealing with the situation. Like you take here in the United States, all of a sudden, we're not going to work and we're home. We have three kids and we only have two computers and now they're supposed to do their schoolwork at home and I don't know how that works. And I've got a meeting on Zoom at one o'clock and I never did that before. Okay, so when that's all going on, you're not thinking about who's right, who's wrong, is there a pandemic? You're just trying to get through the day. Well, you know what? Those people are waking up right now. They started actually toward the end of the summer and they're saying, what the heck? This, I mean, this is insane. All right. So so there are more of us, I believe, than them, because I think there's that persuadable middle that comes our direction that they, they don't if they're persuadable, they're not stupid. And so they're not sheep. OK, and I, I know I sound harsh, but but you've got the, the level of stupidity to buy this thing. It's pretty amazing when you think about it, you know. So the persuadable people are, are, are the middle and there's more. We combine with them. There's more of us than them. You just have to start going out and finding them. Thank you. I really Dr. Popper, I thank you very much. I want to share a, a question from one of the viewers. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's also a podcaster and he from Canada, John Katsavos. And he said, in Canada, things seem to be getting worse. Our fearful leader wants to change the charter of rights to stop people talking about the vaccine and not to use religion as an excuse to not take it. Do you know if there's anything is happening here north of the border to stop this insanity? Yeah, um, Canadians are writing to me and I have told them, go to our website, makeamericansfreeagain.com and you can, we post, uh, my conference calls are on there. You can read our lawsuits. I mean, you, everybody in all of the world can do what we're doing here in the United States. It's my understanding that a lawsuit got filed in Toronto this week claiming that there's no emergency. It looked very much like ours. I haven't had a chance to read it. That's what I do on Saturday night when I run out of other things to do. But I understand that somebody's filed that kind of a lawsuit and the Canadians have got, they've just got to start getting organized like we did. And, and that what, what I think you do is you turn these kinds of disastrous things into motivation. In other words, you can sit around and, you know, you know, 
be very concerned and, and ruminate about it, or you can say, you know what, I better get up off my butt and do something. And, and every time, this is again where I think they're overplaying their hand, because if you take a look at the people concerned about vaccines, it's pretty much equally represented between political parties. Because if you're, for example, we have the Republicans and the Democrats here in the United States. Well, if you're a Democrat and the vaccine companies injured your child, you just don't want any more of that, right? You, no more mandates. And if you're that person's neighbor, and you know, so this is, this goes across party lines. So I think that they, if they overplay their hand on the vaccine, they are really gonna be in trouble if the citizens are smart enough to realize that they can make a lot of trouble that way, okay? Just let this be motivation and, and it's up to everybody. This is one, another thing I wanna stress. One of the things that's caused the movement against medical tyranny to fail is groups form and then a lot of hardworking people at the top report to the groups what they're doing every week or month. Well, that's not going to work. Every single person has to get involved. I tell my group and make Americans free again every week. I'm happy to work harder than everybody else and spend more money than everybody else. But I, and I will report to you every week what I do. But if you don't report to me what you're doing, this is never going to go anywhere because a handful of ambitious people in Ohio cannot solve this problem for 337 million Americans. We are all going to have to get together in America and all across the world to solve this problem. So this is the real test of citizen engagement. And if you're as angry as you say you are, then you better sign in and get busy. Okay. And, and I'll tell you what, people are responding to that. It's like they get that. Okay. I haven't been engaged and that's why I'm here. I have to do the opposite of how I got here to get out of here. And you're so correct, Dr. Popper, because in all history of change in, in the world, it always starts from grassroots revolution. Yeah. Now, can you please talk about the children, you know, what's going on, what program, you know, that's going on when I believe there's more parents opting to do homeschooling now. Right. Well, you know, in my book, I wrote about the four things that had to happen to get away with this. Okay. And number one, decades of public education making people stupid. All right. Public education is so bad in general. Now I want, I'm always the caveat. I know good teachers, they're not all bad, all that stuff. But public education in general is just disastrous, right? So get your kids the heck out of school. And everybody I personally know who's done that and it's happening still, people withdrawing their children from school has said, A, I didn't realize how little they were learning. B, I didn't realize what they were capable of doing. And C, I never thought I'd have so much fun with my kid in my entire life until we started doing some of this stuff together. And remember that people say, well, I have to work during the day. Well, you realize that school's only during the day because they scheduled it. You could have school at night. There's nothing that says school has to start at 9 a.m. School can start at six, right? Um, and, uh, and so anyway, get your kids out of school. We built on our website at Make Americans Free Again, we built a huge homeschool resource network and we can even arrange for one-on-one -on -one coaching for somebody who needs some help if they have a special needs child. But I think that one of the best things happening right now, and the criminals never counted on this either, is people pulling their kids out of school. And I'm fantasizing about the day when the enrollment is so low in some of these schools that they might even have to ask parents how they would like education to work in order to get them back. You know, so this is a good thing. All right, I've, as long as I've been an adult, we've been talking about education reform in this country and every year education gets worse. This is the best thing that ever happened for changing education is millions and millions of parents saying no more, I'll just keep them at home.
Thank you. Steve? Yeah, so all amazing information. Um, I'd love to talk about Charlotte Iserbit and her the, the deliberate dumbing down of America, but we, we, we won't go there. Um, it, it caught my uh, ear when you said there's a group behind this and, you know, all, everyone at this table, we we uh, we go deep down the rabbit hole. So, you know, the first thing that came to mind is I wonder how far down the rabbit hole you you are. Uh, but I, to me, the group, if, if, if I was going to put a name on it, would be either the Council on Foreign Relations or the Bilderbergers. And I don't even know. I'm just sort of throwing that out there. Is that is, am I on target or, or, or it's someone different? I think that they have an interest in it, but it's a different group. Um, it's a much more targeted group for this specific thing. Um, and um, if, if everybody, all the elites have a role in this because their objective is communist dictatorship in every country, ruining the lower and middle classes, making them dependent on the government and then taking over everything, all right, and using health as a way to do it. So they're they're essentially using Hitler's playbook. The difference here is that these people hate everybody. Hitler hated a few targeted populations. These people hate everybody. And uh, their goal is to take out most people either by making them economically just slaves, um, killing them. They wanna kill a significant percent of the population and we think that they're doing a pretty good job. To put it in perspective, actually, to that point, Hitler killed in the death camps 11 million people, roughly. Last year, more than 11 million people committed suicide or died of drug overdose or starvation or whatever all around the world. So the, these folks managed to kill 11 million people in less than a year. They would have been great allies of Hitler, you know. So, uh, so I think that I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think there's a government or a, um, uh, a prominent politician or a billionaire who isn't actively involved in this in some way, shape or form. A couple yeah. of exceptions. I think the guy in Sweden is honest, the guy in Tanzania. But you, I mean, we're talking about being able to count on two hands, the number of people in each category, billionaire, uh, industrialist, um, government, etc., who are good people versus bad people. Yeah, well, I was then. Oh, the minions for the new world order are everywhere, and you, we all know who they are. So it's like I was wondering, are you going after Lightfoot in Chicago or in that kind of? Because she's a, I mean, holy smokes! And, yeah, and, well, uh, those people, those people will eventually get dealt with. How how much criminal culpability she has, I don't know, because I'm not sure she's smart enough to do more than just follow directions. Um, yeah. and, and, I mean, that's going to be a big determining factor, I think, in terms of who's criminally culpable. Um, it, you know, our, our emperor is an attorney. So number one, he has an understanding of the law. Um, so what he's done, he would clearly have known was criminal. Um, the health directors have, should have an understanding of health. And so I think they can easily be held criminally culpable because they they should have known better. I mean, you know, it, it goes back to the $64,000 question from Mr. Fauci, are you that stupid or are you a criminal? You spent decades telling everybody you were the world's leading expert, so we believed you. I didn't, but some people did. So along that line, then, how can you possibly justify the things that you say and the things that you did? You know, so yeah. so I think in some cases it'll be really clear in other cases, and I, and I think we have to resign ourselves to the fact that we'll all be dead before we go after everybody who is involved in this. So you want to go after the high profile people and, and two things will happen. If you get rid of the cabal, the cabal won't exist to do it again. But the other thing is you can make it unattractive for other people to pursue the same action later. 
Um, you know, if, if we manage to put, for example, the Emperor DeWine in prison, which that's something I fantasize about at night, um, <laughs> other, other governors may not think that declaring themselves the emperor is a very good idea from this point in time on. And that may again be where we don't have to get all of them, we just have to get a couple. Two yeah. emperors or empresses in prison is all we need to really be a deterrent, at least for a generation or two. Um, so, yeah, but, but yeah. I think we go after as many as we can. Interesting. Well, so um, regarding viruses, this gain of function research that was, the ban was lifted by the NIH, the, the NIAD or whoever, they're kind of one and two and one in 2017. And, would I be wrong to say that animal viruses do not cross species unless there is a gain of function research done in a laboratory? No, that it sometimes happens, but it doesn't happen as often as people think. Um, and there are some people who um, have an agenda. By the way, for, for the record, I, I eat a vegan diet and I don't like to see animals tortured and that sort of thing. But having mm -hmm. said that, there's a difference between that and becoming an ideologue who makes the claim that the biggest threat to human health is viruses that transmit from animals to humans. And so that group of people started this fantastical idea that it came out of the wet market uh, in Wuhan, which was impossible. I mean, it was it's another one of these things where the stupidity to claim it and then the stupidity to believe it is, you know, it, it just hit yeah. your head. But, but anyway, uh, so it does happen. It doesn't happen as frequently as people think. And uh, it's not what happened here. This was clearly man-made. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I, would, uh, I would like to ask you again concerning the education, uh, the idea to put the children out of the school. I love it very much um, because um, there is, let's say it this way, there is a worldwide indoctrination of the education system by the mm -hmm. communism idea, communistic mm -hmm. idea. And um, this separates the children from the family mm -hmm. and uh, makes so that there's more control. Can you uh, tell us a, a little bit more about the uh, why it is so essential to put the children out of the system? This would be great. Yeah, indoctrination is one reason. The other reason is that in, in school, in a public education setting, um, you've got all kinds of ideology. I mean, in California, they were, before this all happened, they were teaching pedophilia as a sexual orientation that you need to know about in grade school, all right? So nobody I know wants their kid around that, right? Um, so, so that's a big problem. But another problem is that they teach to the mean, all right? Which means that um, if, if your child has trouble in math, he or she will forever be behind because they're teaching to the middle. Now, if you have a kid who's great at math, they're going to sit there and roll their eyes and fall asleep because they're, you know, they don't, um, um, they're not interested, uh, you know, the board. All right. Um, and and furthermore, the the even the school day here in the United States starts at a time when there are hundreds of articles in medical journals saying that getting kids up at 5.30 in the morning to be at school at 7.30 is bad. They don't learn, they're tired, they're exhausted. An adolescent likes to go to bed later. I mean, that's their cycle, their normal cycle and sleep later. So when parents get there, I'll just tell you a couple of examples um, of, of people I know. When parents get their kids out of school, the first thing is school starts at the best time for the student or for the family. Like I said, maybe school is at 5 p.m. when everybody gets home from work. Maybe your high school student really likes to start school at 11 or 10. 
Um, I have an intern in my office who um, is a high schooler and he's homeschooled and he starts at eight because he's taking a lot of science courses because he wants to go to medical school. That's when he wants to start. My massage therapist's daughter wants to start at 11, okay? So you can start the school when you want and you pick curriculum that is appropriate for your child. So one friend of mine has a child who's really smart in math and science. And so they do more advanced stuff in math and science a little less on history because the child doesn't really like history, but then you can make a deal. So how does this sound? You say to your 11 year old, okay, we're gonna do math and science on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we're gonna do English and history on Mondays and Wednesdays. And if you get all your work done and all of that, no school on Friday, and then we're gonna do something fun, okay? Well, who says school has to be five days a week if the work is being done, all right? So, uh, so anyway, you have all this flexibility. And um, and some uh, uh, another example, um, friend of mine who had pulled all of her children out of school and, and they're schooling at home. And one of the things she said, she, she made an interesting observation about one of her kids. She says, my kid thought that you're finished with something because it's 11 o'clock, even if it wasn't done, okay? So can you imagine, no wonder kids are having trouble when they get a job, because what if, I'm teaching a course today, for example, at two o'clock, Okay, so what if I said, I'm gonna work on getting this course materials together last weekend, I'm gonna do it on Saturday. And whatever it looks like by the end of the day on Saturday, that's what I'm gonna teach. Well, what if it isn't done? Well, well, I just said from nine to five. So, well, people who paid money for it might be pretty unhappy if I teach an unfinished course and say, well, the clock was five o'clock, I just stopped. So one of the things that this child's learned is that the project is finished when it's finished based on some criteria, not the clock, all right? And so, so all of this, all of this starts to come out when parents get their kids out of school and they start picking curriculum that's much more appropriate and their kids like it a lot better because they move at their own speed. I have friends who homeschooled their kids in Florida and both kids, very bright children, finished two years of college by the time they graduated from high school because the program that they picked, you just go on to the next thing and on to the next thing until you've done nine months of school. Well, these kids did six years of school in four, two of which was college. Well, that's pretty cool too, right? And it's probably the reason why they weren't falling asleep in school and misbehaving and all that kind of stuff. They were interested, something going on, right? Do you have any, let's say, uh, for example, this was only Nadir, but this it looks very uh, structured already. Um, can you support us, for example, because I know some teachers in Germany, and for example, if you would like to uh, implement such a system, how we could Im implement such a system, this would be brilliant. Yeah, well, there. first of all, people think homeschooling means that I'm going to teach a 10th grader chemistry at the kitchen table. That's not it at all. There are programs that you choose that teach, and, and they go to the way that the child learns. Some kids learn more through game playing and all that kind of thing. So um, and and, there, and the part of the problem is school is, does such a bad job in general that parents are sitting at the kitchen table with their kids every night trying to help them with their homework. There's no homework. That's the other thing. When you homeschool, school's over at the time when you're finished with school for the day. And then it's family time. It's not this intrusive to separate the family thing that you mentioned earlier. But it can even be more creative than that. There are many situations. First of all, there are co-ops in almost every city. And this is where the kids get orchestra and sports and what would be their electives in school. They take painting class, they have science fairs, 
all that kind of stuff. So you, you join a co-op and then um, it can be even some structured school. Like let's say here on my street, um, if I had little kids and I know the neighbors across the street have two, they're in grade school and there are two or three in middle school right next door. So what we could do is we could get together and say, listen, I've got a pretty big lower level of my house. We're gonna have school in my house and we'll get a couple teachers to come in and teach our, our neighborhood kids, just the kids on the street, all right? Uh, using some of the homeschool resources and then having an adult who has some background in education. Um, so there's no limit, you know, when you get rid of the school starts at 7.30 and it's a, every 50 minutes we change classes and all this structure that's superimposed, you can do almost anything you want and it becomes really cool. So you guys could get creative and do this too. I'm sure there's homeschooling in Germany. There's homeschooling everywhere because public school is pretty crappy everywhere. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, just there, I'm just curious. Oh, sorry. Where you go? You go. Yeah, uh, just continuing on this because a lot of people, because some of the schools are closed, they're using uh, Microsoft Teams. And I trust Microsoft as much as I trust the government. Mm -hmm. And yeah. AI as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, it, the whole idea is to get your kids the heck away from organized anything and you start to take, you start to be the parent and dictate where what's going to happen with your child's education. So what, what's happened here in the States, and I suspect it's happened, I suspect it's happened everywhere is when I was in school, I'm 64. So this is quite a while ago. We had public education, but the thing that made public education workable at the time is public education was a partnership between parents and the teachers and the principal and that sort of thing. It was all locally controlled. So the principal hired the teachers and the principal could fire the teachers and the parents were very involved in the school. And, and, um, and so you couldn't go too far off the beaten path because the relationship was just too close, right? So it, it, even the lunches, when we had school lunch and it was not like what I would eat right now based on what I know about food, but it wasn't terrible. I mean, kids weren't eating fried chicken and, and um, all that sort of thing for lunch. It was a pretty decent lunch, actually. It was made in the cafeteria, and they decided in the cafeteria what it was going to be, right? So what happened is this is centralization. Pretty soon now you've got teachers' unions, and you can't fire them no matter what, and it's not local control. The teacher stays with the school system or can teach for the rest of her life by just moving from school system to school system. Um, the lunches are decided in Washington and, and the curriculum is handed down by the state and all everything got taken away from local, all right? So, so what you basically wanna do is you just wanna shut out all of that, all of that you know, centralized control type stuff and just get back to being the parent in charge. You know, so, and, and even the, the, the constant activity, I mean, we have families who are members of Wellness Forum Health, and um, they often have kids that, you know, have problems and all this sort of thing. The first thing I tell them is, is you have got to stop running around. I mean, parents are nothing but chauffeurs for shop, soccer games and this and that. They don't have dinners together. Um, my friend, I have a little lake house up by Lake Erie. And, um, you know, I remember when I started going up there, parents would bring their kids every weekend, you know, for, um, uh, uh, for, for the summer and that sort of thing, or even for weeks at a time. Now they start practice for football in June for the next year. So there's no, you know, they've completely disrupted family life. All right. And, and as far as scheduling something on mother's day, you know, if our school had scheduled something on Mother's Day, no families would have gone. Mother's Day, you spend with your mother and your grandmother. You don't spend it doing something at school. This is crazy. So so anyway, all that needs to go away. 
All right, you get all that whole system of intrusion into family life, homework. Homework is ridiculous. If, you know, we had homework when I was a kid, it took an hour. This idea of staying up all night, and my mother has to sit at the kitchen table to do it with me, that's insane. It's just another way to keep you from having family dinner and keep the kid from learning anything, you know? So. Yeah, no. yeah totally agree with you. Yeah, I'll pass it over to Chris. Yeah, so I just want to touch back a small bit on what you're doing, as in the fantastic work legal-wise that we're actually talking about. Um, and you start on a grassroots situation and it's starting to pick up big momentum, which is fantastic. Um, have you collaborated, say, with, with other people as well on a global scale, say the likes of, obviously, Professor Dolores Cattle is doing a fantastic job as well, Freedom Airways, World Doctors Alliance, so on and so on, and that's their, you know, bringing people together, but are helping people hugely around the world. Is Ratten you're doing in a sense, because I get asked a lot of questions in the sense of, simple things like people want to be able to travel obviously again without the COVID passports without these you know vaccinations without all the the processes you know that's interfering with your inalienable rights basically as a human being have you anything in that as well or are you just kind of on your own with a certain group a big group maybe but are you connecting with others to unite because that's the way we're going to get out of it because these people in the background they're very united the small bunch that's there and divide right. and conquer tactic is the one they've been using obviously throughout history and just what they're using right again have you uh on anything in that area well i want to help in any way i can with anybody i can help but one thing i've been consistent about is to make sure that we're not throwing so much effort into so many things that we can't get anything done all right so i built a reasonably large company in healthcare in our brand of healthcare it's not direct care healthcare but but essentially my company does eight things and we do them the same way thousands of times a month, again and again and again. And we do them extraordinarily well. And so what I'm trying to do is bring that discipline to this. In other words, it, 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 there's nobody bringing ideas to me that I don't think have merit. Let's start our own travel company and let's start a company that competes with Costco. And then let's sue Costco and let's sue the airlines and let's do Okay, All that's great. But pretty soon, we're going to get back to where we were last summer, where everybody's just running around like a chicken with their head cut off, throwing stuff up against the wall, hoping that something makes a difference in the end. And that's not that's not going to happen. We better get really focused. Like you said, you've got a very small group of people who are very focused. So I want to encourage people to do whatever they feel called to do. But I always insert my preference for joining together to do this in some sequential manner. And what I think, for whatever it's worth, is that if we don't prove that the whole pandemic was a fraud, everything else is just going to be busy work. All right. We get that done. And all of a sudden, it becomes easier to do everything else because you just sue if they won't do it. In other words, if we prove there was no pandemic, there is absolutely no justification for closing a school, for requiring a mask, for requiring a vaccine, for requiring a vaccine passport. And all this crap goes away. And if they don't make it go away, you sue and you're going to win every time because then you're just torturing people for no reason. Okay. And you can start a competing business at that point in time because gradually the public will know. Why would you go stay in a hotel that takes $200 a night from you and tortures you with masks and all this other crap and stand on the circle when you can go down the street and stay at a hotel that doesn't make you do all that stuff, right? So, so this all gets easier once we prove the fraud. So my, my, my preference is that everybody gets busy working on that. And then, then we'll go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, no, and I think we will uh, prove the fraud because um, 
you know, some of the dogs in the street at this stage know what's going on. Unfortunately, a lot of people are still uh, not awake, but um, I think we are because I think they've moved way too fast in what they've, uh, you know, they've planned out. Right. And not, none of this was a coincidence. This is well orchestrated, as we've been through down the rabbit hole many times as well. So I think they have really moved too fast. And while it does seem all doom and gloom to the person you're trying to, that hasn't even got to the fence situation yet to really question, is it real? Is it not real? You know, um, you know, is even COVID real? Is it not real? The, the point of the matter is that, like, something is seriously wrong here. And if people are happy with it, people need to just basically step out with the shadow a small bit, stop enslaving themselves. And just right. stop, stop living in this sure. intimidation, fear, life. Like, people are afraid of death. Now they're afraid well, to live while they're alive. <laughs> and this starts with a person. It goes back to what I said before. We got to start with a person and then the next person and then the next person and then the next person. And everybody's got to stop getting this idea that we've got to we got to form some social media company so we can post something and get everybody on board. Stop that nonsense and just get busy. And and another thing, coming from a background of sales training, which is what I my last real job I had before this, before healthcare. Um, is that you know people have a remarkable capacity to try to work around doing things they don't want to do when sometimes it would just be easier to do what they need to do. And right now, what everybody needs to do, this is why I tell people all day long here in the United States of America, you got to go find a person to start a Thursday group with. And the two humans sitting in a room together will find a third person to come next week. That's it. Now, I realize you don't want to do that. You'd rather put a post on Facebook or you'd rather sit back and let me solve your problem for you or you're hoping the lawsuit's going to work out. But I'm going to tell you what your responsibility is, is you've got to go get another human being and start a Thursday group. And everybody's got to do this. And if everybody does this, this will be over sooner than many people think. All right. Because it's an overwhelming number of people we can assemble this way. So anyway, I sure appreciate you giving me this forum to talk this much. But uh, no, I, have to, I have to go teach another class now. So <laughs> thank you so much. Um, if you have a minute, uh, there's a question from the viewer. It says, "Would what do you think about Trump? Will he be a force in the future? I do. I don't think that this is over yet. Um, and I think that, um, you know, when when the truth about all of this comes out, what you're going to end up with is a brainwashed minority that hangs on to their crazy ideas. There are still people who think like Hitler. There are. I get I get emails from people who think that Hitler should have finished the job. And I get emails from people who um, are really anti-Semites and would follow Hitler if he came back today, all right? But I think that aside from that, I think the general population, there will be a shift at a certain point in time for everybody to see what's truly going on and they'll be very anxious to do something different. So yeah, I think he's coming back. I think he will be a force in the future. And I will be surprised um, if we don't have some kind of election upheaval. I don't think this is gonna just four years from now, we're gonna have another election. I don't think that's the way it's gonna happen. So we'll see. Thank you have you. a template for your Thursday meeting because I think that's a fantastic yep. idea just to help people out. It's posted on makeamericansfreeagain.com under take action. You can read our lease lawsuits under the legal section. Yeah, If somebody will spend a couple, three hours going through that stuff, you can start doing exactly what we're doing in your country. Brilliant. Brilliant. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank very you. much. Yeah, we, we encourage your listeners as well to donate to your cause because, I mean, I'm very impressed with what you're doing. It's an inspiration. And every time we get knocked and sometimes, you know, we kind of lose the, the, the courage to be keep fighting. 
to see what you're doing and what you have done gives us more energy to fight further. So I thank you for that. All right. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure meeting all of you. Thank you very much. Thanks thank a lot. you so much. And thank Bye. you to all our viewers Bye. and followers. Yes, As and, Dr. Popper uh, said, we got to go to get to get to work. Okay. Yeah, we end the screen. I'm and, going to work. <laughs> and Dr. Popper, yeah, I think in New Jersey, that's happening, that New Jersey Free America again. Yeah. There's like invitations, little meetings here and there now happening in New Jersey. Well, get get your people affiliated with our group. We'll help. All right. Okay. Thank you so Bye. much. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. 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 Sorry, I had to go. I had to.